Good morning and welcome to Sunday at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and as we begin this New Year journey together, it is the right time for us to look around and notice that the world is indeed dark and broken in some places. How do we counter that? We do it by following our resurrected Christ who fills us with hope, joy, peace, and love so that we can help to build his kingdom on this earth. So come and join us as we seek to answer our call of the risen Christ. Come on in. Our first scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Luke, the 11th chapter, the first through the fourth verses. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading for the morning is from Matthew chapter 18 verses 1 through 5 and 21 through 35. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child, whom he put among them, and said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble... Like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And then from the 21st verse, the details of the children's sermon that you've heard, but here is the rest of the story, to quote Paul Harvey. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church, and isn't it interesting that he talks about the church? If another member of the church sins against me, how often shall I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times or 70 times seven times, depending on your translation of the Greek. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, And as he could not pay, the Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of the slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii and and seized him by the throat. And he said, 
pay what you owe me. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience for with me, I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother and sister from your heart. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One warm summer day when I was seven years of age, a day quite unlike today, I was sitting in front of my dad's grocery store on Highway 84, halfway between Bainbridge, Georgia and Dothan, Alabama, waiting on the nighttime customers to arrive. I was my dad's number one assistant, stocking shelves and sacking groceries. This is what I did at seven years of age. Chubby, my faithful companion, was sitting in my lap as I scratched him between his ears. My dog Chubby was my best friend and faithful companion. We'd been together for years. I loved that dog. Suddenly, Chubby spied a cat across the road. If there was anything he loved more than being scratched between his ears, it was chasing the neighborhood cats. Before I could grab him, he had jumped out of my lap and went running across the road. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the car coming much too fast, and I found myself saying, I wonder if Chubby's going to make it. The sickening thud and seeing my friend's body flying through the air answered my question. I ran in the store and said to Dad, 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 Chubby's been hit by a car. Please go out and check on him. I could not make myself cross that street to check on my dog. He came back and said, son, I'm afraid Chubby did not make it. I'd recognized the car. I'd seen him turn that corner many times and heard his tire squall because he drove too fast. It was my next door neighbor. He had killed my dog and he didn't even stop. I know it was my dog's fault, probably. But as a seven-year-old, I hated what had happened. And at that moment, I think I hated my neighbor as well. Pretty strong feelings for a young boy, but I loved that dog. He was my best friend. About an hour later, as I was in the backside of the store, still upset, the next-door neighbor came into the store and said, Alfred, I got a question for you. Did I hit something when I went by the store earlier? He said, yes, you did. You hit my son's dog and you killed him. Oh, I'm so sorry. Please tell your son I'm sorry and tell him please to forgive me. My world took on a new complexity at that moment. I guess you could call it my first existential crisis at seven years of age. I was full of grief and anger and hatred for what had happened and the source of my vitriolic vitriolic feelings was asking for forgiveness 
What a conundrum for a seven-year-old lad. The reality of this thing we call forgiveness encountered me early and often in my life, and it's not quit. It hasn't changed as I have aged. And guess what? I've discovered that my experiences are every person's experiences. When it comes to this matter of forgiveness, we all struggle with it. Through my personal and professional life, I have encountered persons struggling in their relationships with one another, struggling their relationships with themselves, struggling their relationship with God, because they were unable to embrace or accept the importance of this thing we call forgiveness. Jesus understood this. He knows this business of forgiveness is part of everybody's life. He also knows that forgiveness is critical to entering the kingdom of heaven. And he realizes it's an extremely difficult, complex issue, issue with which to deal. I wonder how we all are doing with this issue as we begin our new year. James Coulter says the unforgiving spirit is the number one killer of a person's spiritual life. An unforgiving spirit is the number one killer of a person's spiritual life. If this is true, then this thing that we call forgiveness is something we should all take seriously. It is certainly an issue that Jesus took seriously, and I believe it's a serious matter for each and every one of us here this morning. In his three short years of ministry, three short years, Jesus kept coming back to this issue of forgiveness over and over. It was a major concern for him, for all who said they would be his followers. Jesus addressed this, this very issue in a most fascinating manner in what we read this morning in one of my favorite gospels, the gospel of Matthew. When Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I said not seven, but seven times 70 well, Peter was really kind of patting himself on the back because the Jewish law at that point only required that you forgive people three times. I mean, the early Judaism had a law and a prescription for every aspect of life. And when it came to forgiveness, it was three times. Peter was offering seven. But once again, Jesus confounded his disciples. Three times is not enough. Seven is not enough. Seventy times seven, Jesus said, or to put it another way, forgiveness is beyond calculation. Forgiveness is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the head. Jesus again took those Jewish requirements and turned them upside down and inside out. To make sure Peter and the others got the point, he told a parable, a story about a crazy kind of forgiveness. One of the king's slaves owed him 10,000 talents. Now, to our 21st century minds, that doesn't sound like a lot, 10,000 talents. Well, we're in a billions and trillions being owed world. But that amount is enormous in the first century. It's like the custodian at Microsoft owing Bill Gates $100 million. It's never going to get paid in his lifetime. And the king knew he could not collect 
So he's going to sell everything this guy has to get what he can out of it. And the slave begged for mercy, falling on the ground, and the king, out of the graciousness of his heart, said, okay, I'm wiping it clean. Your house payments, your car payments, all those credit cards at 20%, clean, gone. You're free. Can you imagine that and how he felt? The guy was ecstatic. He rushes out of the place. And then he sees this colleague, this friend, who owes him, oh, how much was it? Oh, a hundred denarii, 100 days labor, one third of a year. He could pay him back over time. It's not an insurmountable debt. The guy pleads his case. He says, don't, don't, don't put me in jail, I'm gonna pay you. The guy who had just been forgiven turns around, throws his friend into jail, and guess what? When the king heard about this, he's incensed. He had forgiven the guy, yet the guy would not forgive his fellow. He was so incensed that he took him into custody, turned him over to some really bad guys for some punishment. Now here's what I find myself asking myself. Is this a story about a first century king or is this a story about our relationship with God and our relationship with one another that even still applies in the 21st century? Because we heard Peter's question about forgiveness, it appears this story about God's forgiveness and what can happen when we hoard it, that this issue of forgiveness is pretty serious stuff. And Jesus says it's a matter of the heart not a matter of the head. Jesus is evidently saying to his disciples and to us today, the kingdom of heaven on earth is the kind of reality where enormous debts are forgiven. And where enormous debts have been forgiven by God, people are expected to live in a way that they forgive one another. Jesus keeps coming back to it over and over even in this prayer that we pray, that is prayed by two billion people around the world, whether they're Orthodox or Catholic or Protestant or Evangelical, one of the few acts of solidarity that we share with all Christians, the Lord's Prayer. Yet even in praying this prayer, we have our differences concerning this issue of forgiveness. I grew up praying to have my trespasses forgiven as I'm gonna forgive your tres my trespasses, your trespasses against me. Judy grew up praying for debts because she grew up in the Meccan Presbyterian Church. All of it has to do with sin and God forgiving us of our sins as we forgive others the sin against us. In reality, if God forgives me, then I must forgive others if I want to live in the kingdom. That is the constant message of Jesus over and over, forgiving others is connected to being forgiven by God. As we listen to the radio and commentators, as we read blogs and the emails swirling through the ever-ending electronic space, we do not often encounter this spirit of humility and forgiveness that we hear from Jesus in the New Testaments. But it's not limited to the world. In fact, when we look at church people who are offended by other church people, we may, not, we may see something different than what Jesus is talking about. Matthew 18 appears to have been written to help the early Christians know how to get along with one another and then to relate to the world. In the early church, the Jews and Gentiles struggled with one another. Forgiveness was needed and Jesus knew it. 
Forgiveness is desperately needed in all of our lives and all of our world as we begin this new year. Something has changed in the 21st century. Forgiveness has lost value on the Christian stock exchange. It's falling out of favor. It appears it no longer may be listed on the Dow. How did that happen? Perhaps it started with John Wayne. You remember, well, some of you don't know who John Wayne is, but maybe Roy Rogers, Hopalong Cassidy, Gene Autry, the Lone Ranger, do any of those names mean anything? Those were my childhood heroes. They were tough guys. They could take care of anything. And in one of his movies, John Wayne said, don't apologize. It's a sign of weakness. My daddy grew up with that. I never heard my daddy say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Men of his generation operated out of this mindset, it seemed to me as a child, that you just didn't apologize for anything. Apologizing was somehow missed in the social etiquette training for many of us of the previous generation. And as Pope Francis noted in his Christmas letter to couples this year, there are three words in marriage, and I would add in all relationships, that are critical to that relationship. Three words. Please, thanks, sorry. During these pandemic days, there's a tremendous need for couples and families and all people to be a little more patient and forgiving of one another. Please, thank you, I'm sorry, are needed more than ever in this anxious, stressed out, COVID-ridden world of ours. When I read about the Pope's Christmas letter, it reminded me of my Catholic priest friend, Father Pat Whalen. He was at the mall in Louisville, Kentucky, dressed in his priestly garb, the collar, the whole nine yards cross around his neck. The, the, the mall was crowded. A lady with a little four-year-old daughter was bumping into people. The little girl was not paying attention, and she stepped on the priest's patent leather shoes and scuffed the toe. The mother did not know what to do. She's looking at this priest. She's looking at her daughter. She looks at her and says, now what do you say to the, to the man? So what do you say? The little four-year-old looked up at him and said, thank you. She knew she was supposed to say something. And thank you and I'm sorry were both the same for her at that moment. Many of us, especially some of us men, do rather well with thank you, but not so well with I'm sorry, please forgive me. Every person I know carries around some burden of guilt in one form or another. Each of us here has some sense of regret for things we have done, things we are doing, are things we have not yet done. They weigh on us. They bring us down. They separate us from one another. And they separate us from God Almighty. These feelings of guilt and dissatisfaction with ourselves can have a powerful impact on our lives. They can literally distort our perspectives, cripple relationships, and scar us forever if we allow them to. One of the hardest things in the world is to forgive another person when she has wronged you. And we have all been wronged. 
And some people forgiving themselves, it's harder and, and, and they feel like they've miserably failed or grievously sinned and they find it so hard to let go of the grief and the guilt they feel themselves. As Frederick Bigner observed, when someone you've wronged forgives you, you're spared the dull and self-diminishing throb of a guilty conscience. When you forgive someone who has wronged you, you're spared the dismal corrosion of bitterness and wounded pride. For both parties, Forgiveness means the freedom again to be at peace inside our own skins and be glad in each other's presence. Forgiveness is essential, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me. A few years ago, the topic of forgiveness was a matter of extensive research around the world. National research grants were provided for researchers in several different fields to see if forgiveness was a significant issue for human beings. Some were surprised by the results, others were not. The conclusions that surprised people the most were the discoveries that people who forgave easily more often than not demonstrated stronger interpersonal relationships, stronger emotional strength, slowness to anger, a clearer conscience. They were more comfortable with themselves and others in their families and friendship circles. Jesus understood that long before there was any research project. He understood that forgiveness changes people. Forgiveness changes relationships. If we choose to live in the kingdom, forgiveness is a reality we must choose. Forgiveness, Jesus says, is a matter of the heart, not of the head. God Almighty, the maker and sustainer of the universe, is in it with us. We're not alone. His spirit is closer than the air that surrounds us, and it is a strength that can help us to learn more about this. His love and his spirit encompasses us. We only have to turn to him as little children and accept this wonderful grace. John Wayne, I think, was wrong when he said, don't apologize is a sign of weakness. Jesus said, if you want to be part of the kingdom, you must apologize. Are we not each and every one of us called as followers of the way to be living, breathing carriers of God's loving grace and forgiveness. Forgiveness, I think, is critical to us being the persons God has called us to be this new year. My friends took the children to a restaurant and the six-year-old asked if he could say the blessing before the meal. The family bowed their heads and he said in a very loud voice, God is great. God is good. Thank you for the food. And I would even thank you more if mom gets us ice cream for dessert and liberty and justice for all. Amen. <laughs> Along with the laughter from the other customers around, a nearby woman remarked very loudly, that's what's wrong with this country. Kids today don't even know how to pray, asking God for ice cream. Why? I never. Well, the little boy heard it, broke his heart. He grabbed his mother crying. Is God mad at me for my prayer? She assured him that God was not upset and it was a good prayer. An elderly gentleman left his table and walked over, leaving and looked down at the boy. And he said, as he winked at him, I happen to know that God thought it was a great prayer. And then in a theatrical voice, he added with a whisper toward the woman who had made the remark, too bad she never asked God for ice cream. 
a little ice cream is good for the soul sometimes. Of course, the parents brought, bought ice cream for dessert for everybody at the end of the meal. The six-year-old stared at his for a moment and then he did something that the family never forgot for the rest of their lives. He picked up his ice cream and without a word, he walked over and placed it in front of the woman. And with a big smile, he said, here, this is for you. Ice cream is good for the soul and my soul is already good. <laughs> Who is the greatest in the kingdom, Peter asked. Whoever humbles themselves as this child. And Jesus would add, and forgives. Jesus or John Wayne, the choice is ours. Amen.